Well, good morning. Welcome in this room and welcome if you're next door in our communion venue. We're really glad that you're over there. If you're online somewhere in the city or elsewhere, really glad that you're here with us today as well. So turn in your Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis 3. We're continuing this series that we just started several weeks ago, working our way through Genesis this year. If you need a Bible, uh, ushers have them right now. They'll be glad to spot you one. You just wave at them and we'll go to Genesis 3. While you're turning, I'll just tell you... Uh, I guess it wasn't terribly long ago about a breakfast that I had with a preacher friend of mine. Probably, no, definitely the most famous preacher uh, friend I could call a friend. Uh, nationally known and uh, just filled with charisma, lights up a room, a leader of leaders. And it was a good breakfast, and I went away with some new thoughts and benefited and appreciated. And the unfortunate thing is I won't be having another breakfast with him again anytime soon because now he's in prison. And if you told me that that's where he's going, I'd have said, you're crazy. But he got himself involved in a money making scheme where they sold historical Chinese bonds issued prior to 1949. And while they were promising exponential turns, they just neglected to tell the people who were buying those bonds they carried no value whatsoever, about as valuable as old Southern Confederacy Civil War money, worthless and when the news broke, I, I was astounded. I was like, really? Yeah, this is a guy who has a, an MBA from one of the leading business schools in the nation. And what, what were you thinking? And, and what would cause him to do something so careless? And for that matter, what would cause anybody to risk everything that they've spent their life working to build to chuck it all for the opportunity to get just a little bit more dishonestly. What is it that lures a person like this? Maybe sad. Maybe sad for him, maybe sad for his wife, for his kids, for his church. Sad for the rest of us who know him. But I wonder if you've yet figured out, if you're a follower of Christ, <laughs> you will never outgrow temptation. I remember when I was young, thinking one day when I'm old, like 50, you know, I, <laughs> you probably like uh, age out, right? And you don't get tempted anymore. Isn't that the way it worked? And I remember somewhere along the way when Billy Graham was still living, they were doing, Larry King was doing an interview. He was up in his 80s. And he talked about temptation. It never goes away. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing. I, I, I really, I don't know, in my naivete, I thought maybe you just kind of outgrow it. You get so spiritual that you just don't ever feel temptation. Anymore. It doesn't work that way. And that's why you and I need to talk about it today, temptation. How does the tempter do his work? How does he weasel his way in, 
into our lives. And, and, and so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We were in Genesis 2, you'll remember, at the altar, as it were, of the very first wedding. And there stood Adam and Eve in their birthday suits, adorned for their first wedding. But of course, they didn't have any clothes. They didn't need any clothes. They were naked and they were unashamed. And we talked about that last week. But all of that's going to change in our text today. Look at verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you mustn't eat from the fruit in the middle of the tree, uh, in the middle of the garden. And you mustn't even touch it or you'll die. He'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. And then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I'm naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. See what's happening. The woman's listening to the serpent. The man's listening to the woman, but nobody's listening to God. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, all wild animals, and you'll crawl on your belly, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. Now, what I want to help us to observe today is that though this is one of the oldest stories in the whole world, it is still an absolutely up-to-date playbook on how the devil does his tempting work. It's just as relevant today as it could possibly be. His methodology hasn't changed. There's really three components we see. And so if you're taking notes, and I hope maybe that you will today, here's the first of them. The tempter 
he always comes in disguise. He always comes in disguise. The text tells us when the serpent came, he didn't come as a creature of ugliness. No, 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 no. He was crafty and slides in. Keep in mind, the, the curse of the fall hasn't happened yet, and so he's not having to slither on his belly and eat dust. Not yet he doesn't. And so apparently he just do, 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 walks, ambles right on in. No rattles to warn of his approach. Nothing to make her feel alarmed. He just sort of steps into the scene. It's just so normal feeling. And that's how he slips into our scenes as well. Almost unnoticed. Almost like an old friend. Nothing about him that alerts you. Certainly no red suits and horns and no wails of sirens. Oh, no, no, no. Nothing that would cause you dread. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, Satan always masquerades himself as an angel of light. He's the master of disguise. And what does he do? He doesn't whisper, Eve, I'm here to tempt you. No, no, no. That would have been much too clear. He comes to her and says, let's talk about theology. Theology? Yes. Well, what do you want to talk about? Now, before we look at what he says, I want us to look back at what God had said in Genesis 2, verse 16, about the garden and the fruit. And God, the Lord God, had commanded the man, had commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Mark that. Now, verse 1. The enemy said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, Eve. This is a, don't, don't even get into this conversation. That's, that's not remotely what he says. But what's he want to do? He wants to get her at least into the conversation. Because like the sneakiest of salesmen, he knew if I can just get her talking, I'll, I'll just move a few of these things around and I'll convince you this is a sensible conversation and decision that you're making. She's getting lured in and she's getting, in conf getting confused. And, and, and so she thinks about it and she makes a flailing attempt to ostensibly try to set the devil straight, jumping in to defend the Lord. She says, oh, no, 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 no. He, he said we could actually eat of all the trees in the garden, which is just that one we can't eat from. In fact, of that one, he said, you can't even touch it, because if you touch it, then you'll surely die. Now, wait a second. Where did he say you can't even touch it? He didn't say anything about you can't touch it. That's sort of like the father who says to his daughter, you and your friend Katie... You've been so noisy. Katie is going to have to go home. And the daughter goes running to mom saying, Daddy, I can't have Katie over ever again, Dad said. Now, is that a little exaggeration? Yes. That's not what he said at all. And this is what Eve's getting herself lured into. It's, it's, wait, you're expanding. You're, you're, going, you're going off really what he said. 
You're confused. And that's what the devil loves to do in our hearts and minds. Sort of like a spider. Spiders aren't doing anything new that they haven't done for thousands of years either. What do they do? They spin webs. Sometimes there's not much to them. They're just like, oh, you ain't the most artistic one. But then other times, the spider comes and it's like, that is pretty impressive, even to us. Now, we find that impressive. Just imagine how impressive it'd be if you're an insect and you're, you, you never get to see the Taj Mahal anyhow. So, you know, this is, this is big time. Look at that one. It just, it's like, whoa. And look how the, the silken threads, they just, they glisten in the light. They, they, God, it's just like, that's a masterpiece. And what begins to happen? The fly says, I just, I guess flying a little closer. I got to get a good view of this. <laughs> you don't see that every day. It's interesting how the curiosity can become the most intoxicating thing if we're not careful. And so after circling the web a few times, the fly says, oh, it's amazing, Sub sublime. That is a master, I, that's a masterpiece. But there's just one thing. <laughs> I, I, I want to know, I have to know, what does it feel like? Is it soft? It, I have to know, the fly says. I, just, just one time. Well, maybe two to make it symmetrical. But, but I, I, I have to know. And we'll just call it, we'll just chalk it up to research. You know, I'm just doing research. And once I know, and once I've had that touch, then I'll just, I'll, I'll be on my way. No, you won't. Because at that point, you will know more than you were meant to know. And you'll see the difference between good and evil. And you will be caught. No sooner has the insect gotten caught before the spider comes out from behind the bookshelf and begins inching its way towards the prey. Gotcha! That's how the enemy of our souls has been working since the very beginning, friends. Realize, temptation, it'll always take you further than you ever meant to go. It'll always keep you longer than you ever meant to stay. It'll always cost you more than you ever intended to pay. And the way he does it is he, he gets your mind. And if he can get your mind, if he can get your attention and get you focusing on that, oh boy, you're in danger. The great in, uh, missionary to in, India of another generation, Stanley Jones, used to say, whatever has your mind has you. And I remember Timothy Atik once when he was here preaching telling us along these lines, you know why the devil keeps using the same tactics since the beginning of time? Because we still keep falling for the same damnable trick. So he never has to think of new schemes. And once you lock in 
and you start thinking about that, 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 that one thing, because it's always just one thing. The devil doesn't come at you with 13. No, no. All he needs is one. And for everybody, there's that one thing. Now, your fruit might not be her fruit or his fruit. Or, but there's always something in everyone's life. It's just if only... I just would like just once. You see, the stories really very current. And when that exchange and dialogue of the head begins to happen, you know what happens next? Your thoughts of God and your remembrances of God's goodness and faithfulness and provision and blessing to you, all of those things will recede to the background and it'll be like you have amnesia, and you can't even remember any of the good things that God has done for you, because now you're focused on that one thing, which leads to the second. The second move he always makes is he challenges God's word. When Eve responds, oh, no, 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 we can, oh, we can eat from all the trees. There's not that. We can't touch that one. You have to read in between the lines, and you have to hear the enemy as he puts his head back. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me, Eve? <laughs> if you touch that one fruit, you would surely die? What does that mean? Eve. Has anybody ever died? <laughs> Come on, doesn't that seem a little bit dramatic? You're smart, Eve. Surely you wouldn't fall for that. What's he doing? He's undercutting the authority of God's word. It's distorted now, it's twisted, and he's undercutting it. And that's what he still does. You say, well, how does he do that? Oh, let me count the ways. He undercuts the word of God through filmmakers, through authors, playwrights, tabloids, social media cesspools, news feeds, comedians, you name it. He can work through anything to, to get an unknowing soul thinking to himself. <laughs> Probably I am an outlier. Nobody really thinks seriously about God's word anymore. Right? It's so old-fashioned. He, he's right. They, that can't be. That's dated stuff. So passe. Tim Keller wrote, See, we lose sight of God, not through arguments, but through being immersed into the wrong atmosphere. Because you become what your atmosphere is telling you. But you stay long enough, and you will re realize, wait a second, uh, none of those people's lives are remotely godly. And yet, you'll begin to convince yourself, but life does seem to be working out all right for them. Maybe it's not all so bad. 
Maybe you can get happily ever afters, afters if, you, if you do it God's way, but maybe there's actually a, a happily ever after on the other side as well. Watch out, friends. If you get to this point, you've entered what they call the moment of maybe. Maybe it, maybe it wouldn't be that bad. Maybe nobody would ever know. Maybe it actually would make my life a little bit better. Maybe I actually, I deserve it. Maybe, maybe this would actually turn out for the best. No, wrong. See, what they're not showing you is the, the underbelly, the, the realities that fall underneath what you're seeing. It's not real. It's fantasy. And yet we sit there and the devil says, now I've got you right where I want you. What does Paul call him in 2 Corinthians 4, 4? The God of this world. You have to realize that this world is a fallen place now, friends. It wasn't prior to this. But it is now. It's a fallen place. And the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. And so don't be foolish. You have to wake up. you got to wake up. Otherwise, you're, just, you're doing stupid things. I have this file where I, for years, I just kept articles that I thought, hey, you know, that's really a dumb thing. And a lot of times it had to do with temptation. And so I, I was just looking up the, 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 I was just like, what's in there? And I found this story. It's a little dated, seven years ago. Snake lover found suffocated to death near his pet python. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm really glad I didn't have to do his funeral because I, I just wonder, what do you say? Uh, you know, old Joe, I don't know why he kept crawling into bed with that python every night. Isn't that a little odd? But yeah, yeah, it's just kind of hard to, to, to say. So yeah, I think he probably just said, let's bow for closing prayer and go to the fellowship and have the lunch, you know, and, and be done with this service because that was dumb. You, you shouldn't be sleeping with pythons. So if you've been thinking about it, let me just put my thumb on the scale against. You know, I, 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 just, I don't think that's a wise thing. Nor is it wise for you to be engaged in conversation in your mind with the enemy. It's not smart. And don't you realize, that's why God, he, he gave us plenty of warning, ample warning. Not because he wanted to be a killjoy, but, but, but he wanted to be a joy bringer and sustainer. And so what did he say? In First Peter, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Don't move to that side. The blessing's over here. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh, they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please from the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. God is serious about sin. 
as much as any loving mom or dad is serious about t- teaching their little child about fire and the dangers. Honey, it'll burn you. It could really destroy your body and destroy our house and destroy everything. And so can sin. And yet, what do we do? We do this rationalization. Well, you know, I, I know I shouldn't be holding a grudge against that person. I shouldn't be seeking revenge. But it would really feel good. We know the Bible says I, I, I shouldn't sleep with this person that I'm not married to, but is that kind of old-fashioned? The Bible says, yeah, I, I know it says you, you sh- shouldn't like keep all your money and spend all your money on yourself, and, but you should set a pattern of generosity and give away a tenth to church or godly causes and that changes lives and expands God's kingdom. But I don't want to do that. I want, to, I want it all. The dialogue sounds like, if we were honest, which is exactly what James tells us in verse uh, chapter 1. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, so let's make this very clear. that the, The temptation comes to all of us. Temptation is not sin. Uh, uh, Temptation is the uh, precursor to sin. It's the prelude to sin. It's the invitation to... So the sin is not in the bait. The sin is in the bite. As Martin Luther famously said, I can't help it if a bird comes uh, uh, circling my head. But I can help it if the bird starts building a nest on my head. Now you've gone too far. You let it stay too long. This is why we have to be on our guard against temptation. There's one more way that the enemy works. Let's look at it. He always calls into question the goodness of God. Look again at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Picture the enemy again. Eve. <laughs> Don't you see what's going on, Eve? God's holding out on you. <laughs> Don't you see it? He knows if you taste and you see, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like, well, like he is. But look, if, you, if, you're, <laughs> if you're not up for the fun, that's fine. Let them spoil your fun. Let them keep you on a short leash. I don't know. I don't know if it's true, Eve. I, I've heard. I've heard that maybe God's actually a little insecure. It's probably not true. But I suppose if he were a little bit insecure, the, the last thing he would ever want you to discover is that there might be actually be something even a little better than him. Once he gets into the to the well, once the water is 
poisoned. It's all polluted. Haddon Robinson, a great preacher of a different era, in a well-written sermon, said, one of the most beautiful confessions of love and faith in the Bible was the confession that Ruth made to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth tells Naomi, Though both of our husbands have died, and though you freed me to move on, if I could find another husband and, and start over, I'm not leaving, Ruth. I'm going to stay with you, my mother-in-law. And wherever you go, I'm going to go. And wherever you abide, I'm going to abide. And your people will be my people. And your God is going to be my God. And wherever you're buried, I'll be buried too. It's just a beautiful expression of love and devotion. But suppose somebody had whispered to Naomi, wake up. Your daughter-in-law, Ruth, she's a gold digger. She's a manipulator. She's just using you, Naomi. She's using her as her, as your, as her ticket to get herself out of Moab and into Israel because she wants to marry a wealthy Jew. Don't you see it? You're just her passport. She'll tell you anything you want to hear as long as you'll give her passageway to Israel. Now, if someone had told that to Naomi and if she had believed it, what would happen? Anything Ruth had said from that point on would have been discounted, deemed suspicious. Every kind act Ruth did for her mother-in-law, Naomi would have rejected I don't trust you. And so it is with God. The moment you begin to question God's goodness, friends, is gone. you're a goner. Game, set, match. Mission accomplished for the enemy. And I see people succumbing to it all too often. Even yesterday, Suzanne came into my study while I was working on this. And she says, well, I just talked to th thus and so. And it's a couple. They used to be here in a church years ago. It's on the staff, gifted, and explained to me, uh, he's left her and the kids, and he's gone off with the newest model. I'm like, what? This person who, who knows God's word is a good, I was a good preacher of God's word. You've got to be kidding. No, she said. Which got me wondering, what happened to you? I guess somewhere upstream in the contaminated headwaters of his mind, the enemy got him wondering, can I depend on God's word? Maybe I can't trust it, and if I can't trust God's word, then I probably, maybe, I can't trust his goodness. Maybe there's actually more goodness that I could discover on my own. When you start believing that sort of way, say hello to Eve. Because you're doing the very same thing. See, here's the reality, friends. The, the enemy, he'll never come up dragging chains that are clanging that you can see. Oh, that'd be way too conspicuous. No, 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 no. He comes bringing a crown and says, here, why don't you try this on? It'll make you feel important. Maybe it's a crown of pleasure. Maybe it's a crown of potential wealth. Maybe it's a crown of power, a crown of popularity, of freedom. The only thing I'll never tell you is the consequences 
that crown will cost you. Even if you end up wearing it only five or ten minutes, it'll be too late. Because by then, your eyes will have been opened as well. And you'll realize, this didn't go the way I foresaw. And then you'll start to hide, because that's what everybody does. And you'll pull back from God. You'll pull back from church. You'll pull back from your friends. You'll st- you won't sew together fig leaves, but you'll, you'll start doing other ways of hiding and just sort of distancing yourself from other people. Why? Because they would remind you, you've messed up. And we rationalize. Maybe nobody will find out still. Maybe my children will get over it and, and, and my, my employer and... I'll just hide out and kind of hope it passes over. Friends, some of you are here today, and you are presently in the throes of temptation. You are the fly circling the web right now. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe it's at your neighborhood. I don't know. But I believe it's in God's goodness and providence that he brought you here today so that you could hear me say in no uncertain terms, Run! Get out! Flee! This is no time to lollygag around. I, we had the, I guess it was last spring, a year ago, I made the unfortunate decision to sign up for solar. And I'm not saying all solar is bad. Your solar is probably good. But ours wasn't so good. And I, I'm convinced they gave us the B team. I think they gave us the F team when, when they came to install. And so soon thereafter, we had drips, drops coming in and bowls set everywhere. And they, oh, we'll get this all break. They never could. There's so many holes. I, it's just like, you are kidding me. And, and no sooner they got the whole thing turned on and I sat back to save all this money that I'd been told we were going to save uh, because we signed up for solar. And it wasn't several weeks later and uh, where they had tied it all into the electrical panel in our garage. Uh, I think we, we got the novice, the rookie. I don't think he'd ever fastened one in before. And, and so Wesley, our firstborn, he wasn't in college yet, he was a senior. And he was upstairs because his room's right above the garage. And he's getting ready for bed. The rest of us, everybody's asleep. And he hears pops, pow, pow. It's like, what is that? And then he, he, smells, he smells the smoke or the, 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 the scent of, of singeing, of burning. What is going on? And gratefully, Wesley's an Eagle Scout. And he put it to use. And Wesley jumps up and comes running down the hall and says, well, our house is on fire we got to get out. Get out. Now, you know, it's easy in that kind of situation. You know, son, I bet you just had a bad nightmare. You know, and let's, let's, let's calm it down. No, this for real. There's smoke. There's smells. There's, we're, our house is on fire. we got to get out now, now, now. And so we got out fast, called the fire people, and they came, three trucks, bam. They were, they were really there, and they got in fast. And, 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 and gratefully, the, the, the house didn't go up in flames, but the investigator who came the next day or two days later 
Um, he said, Mr. Werlein, come here and I want to show you something. He, he turned off the wall and, and he said, now, do you see uh, the, all of these wires and what color are they? They're black. They're burned. To a, he said, now, uh, do you see the wires that didn't quite get caught bef before they end right up there? I said, yeah. He said, how, how far do you think that is? I said, it's about 24, 28 inches. He's like, yep. You are about 24 to 28 inches from a very different outcome. The best I can calculate, he said, you are about five to 10 minutes before these wires were going to go right into the insulation, shooting up into the attic, out through the roof, cutting right across your floors in between first and second floor. And you would have had a very different outcome than what happened. He said, your son, he really is the hero. You didn't have much time to spare. He said, get out. And that's what I'm saying to you. If you're in the throes of temptation, friends, I think God brought you here so you could hear me say, don't monkey around. Get out. Run now. You might just be five or ten minutes from destruction. As the Proverbs says in chapter 6, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? No! Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No! So what do you do? Get out! That's what Joseph did of old when Potiphar's wife said, You know, I love that coat of many colors, but I'd love it even better if it was off. So let's see what that looks like. And he says... I can't do this. You're a married woman. And that would be a violation to my boss, your husband. That'd be a violation to God. And so he slithers out of his tunic, it says, and, he's, and he ran off. Was that a little awkward? I'm sure it was awkward. But what did it do? It held his character intact. He got out. And so might you be able to. 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common, to everybody. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also give you a way out so that you can endure it. He'll, he'll also provide a way out. But will you take it? That's the question. Will you take the way out? That's what you must do, is open your eyes and, and realize, man, I got it. I I got to come to my senses. Maybe you need to call a Christian friend. Say, I got to tell you what's going on. I think I'm circling this web. I think I might get stuck. This is kind of a dangerous thing. Lean on that friend for strength. Call a Christian counselor. We'll put the uh, thing up that we put last week, uh, faithbridge.org slash care. We got a lot of counselors that uh, uh, talk to them. Tell them about it. Come back to church if you've been away. Get back in your grow group. You need some fellowship. Start to inventory again. Wait a second. Look at all the goodnesses that God has blessed us with. We've got this, and we've got this, and we've got this, and we've got this. And how can I even think about potentially chucking all that just for a moment of pleasure? Get out. You say, well, I would have, but the problem is you got to me too late. It's too late. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. But there is hope even for you. Well, I can't undo the damage any more than Adam and Eve. They, they had to exit the garden. There was a consequence. 
and there is consequence for sin. That's just how it works. But there's also grace. God's grace is also down there, buried beneath this damnable story. And you see it for the first time in Genesis 3, 15. First and 14, what does he say? He says to the serpent, he says, you're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. But then for the first time in scripture, you hear the distant trumpet sound of the hero, of God saying, I'm going to show mercy and grace to you. I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you, even though you haven't done anything worthy of being rescued. And you get to this verse 15, look at it. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he'll crush your head, and you'll strike his heel. What is going on here? Theologians call this the proto-euangelion. Proto means first. Euangelion means evangelism, or the gospel. This is the first hint of the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news that God seeing us in our sinfulness, would come near to us, not pulling away, but moving in, taking the form of a man, living a life of sinlessness that we couldn't live, and coming to his own tree, but not succumbing to the fruit of that tree, rather saying, I'll die on that tree, and I'll bear the punishment for your sin as your substitute so that on the third day he could conquer the grave and have victory and infuse that victory to you if you would receive it and say I want that amazing grace to flow into my life this is the good news and sure enough who would be the child of Eve referred to the second Adam Jesus the better Adam who would choose rightly, who was sent to redeem us. And so, my word to you, if you've fallen, is why don't you turn back? Even Adam, they couldn't turn back and go in. But the Lord said, one day, I will lead you into another garden, the garden of heaven. Because I have a plan, and the Savior is on his way. Give your life to him. Trust in him. Lean in on his mercy and grace. Do it now. Right now, because he wants good for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story and for the accuracy that it is even in our own lives today thank you god that you lead us not into temptation but that you deliver us from evil if we'll let you for yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory and all good things every good and perfect gift comes from you above lord my prayer is that you would work in Every person's heart hearing me right now. Those who are in the throes of temptation, that they might hear the word and and heed it and that they might flee 
before it's too late and that they might be rescued. And for any who've who've fallen and fallen hard, maybe in the midst of falling hard, even now, God, would you restore to them the joy of their salvation? Would you give them humility to humble themselves and, and grace to move towards you and to say, I'm going to come to you, Jesus, or I'm coming back if you went away. I'm coming back and I'm repenting and I'm turning to you because you are the only one who gives us good things. You're our good, good Father. Lord, my prayer is that you would work in every heart right now.